Hey everybody, welcome to Clark Talks, the Colombian's podcast where we bring you the stories and views behind the news in Clark County. I'm Damien Pizzanti. And I'm Katie Gillespie. So this week it's um, going to be very Clark County politics heavy, right? Yeah, we're taking a deep dive into county politics this week, so if that's not your jam, this is probably not the show for you. But no, Or um, you're at least going to want to just skip all that and get straight to Ashley's Corner. Yeah, because we, of course, have Ashley on. But this week we're taking a deep dive into county politics. Uh, county reporter Jake Thomas has an article coming out this weekend taking a look at the performance of the new councillors as well as how implementation of the Home Rule Charter under those new councillors is going Jake will interview Nan Henriksen, who was the chair of the Freeholders Committee, which organized the, which developed the charter, and just all around familiar face in Clark County, mayor of Camas, mm-hmm. and and longtime community. Definitely a local political. Definitely, voice. totally, yeah. Nan yeah. is a Nan is a, a beast for sure. So, so. If, if you're not really familiar, or it's been a while since you've really kept up on the charter and how things got formed and sort of what got us to where we are today, that's going to be a great. Uh, subject for you to listen to, especially once you check out Jake's article on Sunday. Yeah, her, his interview with Nan is really interesting. Mm-hmm. First, though, we're going to start uh, with an interview with uh, former Clark County manager Mark McCauley, who was ousted from that position in May, um, which was a, a surprise, I think, for, for, for just about everybody. everybody. Yeah. Um, for those of you that I'm not going to say for those of you again, but in case you forgot um, or whatever, a little bit of background for you. Uh, Mark assumed this role shortly after the county uh, transitioned its form of government. And, um, man, he came in in kind of a rough spot. As soon as he got there, uh, the new council began undoing the deeds of the previous commission and, you know, much of the chagrin of uh, David Medore and Tom Milkey. Yeah, Mark was was leading the helm at some pretty turbulent times for Clark County. So, mm-hmm. And he unpacks a little bit of that in our conversation, talks about what it was like making that transition and the direction he was trying to take the uh, take the the county after that i also think i mean if you just look at the at some of the photos that we took on that day um the i mean there were county staff lined up uh, throughout the the county hearing room to to hug mark mccauley say goodbye and mm-hmm. um, the i think the public response to it was pretty stunned all around so i think it it well we in the newsroom we were. in the newsroom were like what is going on so <laughs> totally, totally. so i think it closes some loops and gives gives mark a chance to kind of reflect on some of that uh some of what happened and so we th- mm-hmm. i thought it was a really good really interesting conversation that we had with them so yeah so again uh just to say this really clearly this is a politically wonky uh podcast this is super so, it's super wonky yeah so Dig in, get ready, and uh, prepare to be amazed. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as always, we're going to close out with Ashley, uh, who's going to tell us about the packed weekend ahead. Um, and it is a packed weekend. It is. My it God. is. Oh my God! It so is much stuff to do. Totally packed weekend. So mm-hmm. we're going to start right in with our interview with Mark. We have by phone former Clark County Manager Mark McCauley joining us. Thanks for coming on, Mark. We appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. So tell us, where are you now? Well, I'm in Port Townsend, um, up north, uh, northwest of Seattle, a beautiful little town, um, right on the water. Um, It's got an old historic district. It's got a couple of really lovely state parks around it. Um, It's small, but it's uh, it's very nice. And remind us what your what your job is up there now. Well, the title is Central Services Director, and I also function as the. Uh, Deputy County Administrator, 
And um, <clears throat> so the the director position uh, is responsible for a number of things, uh, facilities management, uh, information technology, uh, GIS, and uh, fleet, and uh, also uh, public records requests and uh, uh, records management. So it actually sounds like it's a pretty different role than your job at Clark County. Well, if you compare it to the county manager position, it is it is quite different. But uh, I was a department director at Clark County for seven years, and so this job is more similar to that. So were you planning to stay at Clark County for the long haul, or, or I mean, were you planning to retire from Clark County? Uh, well, I had hoped to. Uh, I was enjoying uh, myself at Clark County. Uh, you know, I loved the job, uh, county manager job. Uh, but things happen, and when things happen, you have to react to them. And this position was available, and I had met Philip Morley, the county administrator, at a conference in Leavenworth about two months ago and found him to be, uh, you know, a very uh, smart, capable, and nice man. And so uh, coming to work for him uh, was a good thing. Yeah, because that all happened pretty quickly, that you were able to find a job and get moved up there, and so... Yeah, it, it did. Uh, I Shortly after the 12th, when the council had the hearing at 2 o'clock, I, <clears throat> I went to the Prothman website. And, What's and, Prothman, if you could just uh, explain that? It, yeah, Prothman's a company that uh, represents uh, governments and recruits candidates for vacant positions. And I think, actually, the interim county manager that uh, is coming on at Clark County uh, is a is a Prothman asset, and so they're they're well known. And I went to their website and saw that Jefferson County had a department director job open, and so I um, I called Philip Morley, and um, I was able to uh, to get into the final group of candidates that were interviewed and um, and was offered the job. Talk about the, the the manner in which you were let go from Clark County. I think it was a surprise to many of us, as well as you, that that happened, that it happened so sun- suddenly. Oh, yeah, it was definitely right. abrupt. Uh, I was very surprised. Um, I had no, no indication that the council was not satisfied with me or my performance. And so, um, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a surprise to me. Did you have any anticipation that that was going to happen in like the weeks, the months before before it did? No, I think a day or two before uh, I began to wonder uh, what was happening, and and then uh, the Wednesday before the Friday hearing, I, I you know I was informed that uh, that the ca- council wanted to go in a different direction and. Uh, and I said, okay. Uh, and then Friday they had the hearing, uh, and that was that. So what you mentioned that you were beginning to wonder what was going on. What do you mean? Like, what were some of the signs that maybe not all was right? Well, they had an, an executive session the week prior that went for several hours. And um, and then they had a second executive session uh, the Wednesday before the I, – I think it was the Wednesday the 10th. And um, it was it was lengthy, and then I was called in at the very end. And it, you know, if, if everything was in, in good shape, it it wouldn't have taken all that time behind closed doors. And so, to me, that was an indication that uh, that there was something uh, something happening. And I mean, 
I, I know it's hard to speak for much beyond yourself and your own experiences, but what about this? The staff, the county staff, um, it, you know, judging by our coverage of this, it seemed like they were really surprised as well. I mean, w did you guys have a good working relationship up to the time they, they, the board ultimately decided to let you go? Well, I believe we did. Yeah, there was no sign, no outward sign of uh, dissatisfaction or unhappiness that I could, uh, that I could discern. So, so we've heard a lot of talk about wanting a different direction from the council, and I think I'm getting a little bit better of an idea of what that what they mean by that. But I wanted to hear it from you. What what do you understand that to mean? A different direction? I, I really don't know. Uh, it, it, that that's a way of saying that uh, wherever we want to go, we don't want to go there with you. And I I really can't tell you what that direction is. And uh, hopefully, over time. Uh, it'll become clear what that direction is. Do you think there exists a disconnect between county staff and the, the legislative body right now? And if so, what needs to be done to address it? Well, I can't speak for county staff now, uh, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I stay in touch with some of them, but, uh, but as a body, I, I have no idea where they are. I, 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 I knew where I was trying to take the, the employees, and I was trying to build a, a, a culture and a climate there that, um, that made it a great place to work and that would create highly motivated people that would want to serve the citizens of the county as best they could, and, and I think I was succeeding in that. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I'm, I'm sure, the, and I've heard from many, that they were, they were very surprised at, at what happened. Well, and they don't under they don't understand it. I mean, tell us a little bit then, if you can, like, what was that direction that you you and the staff were trying to go? I mean, where when you were sitting at your desk, still, you know, working as the county manager uh, and you were thinking about where the county was going to be in a year or two or three or whatever, what were you thinking? Well, if you look at the mission, vision, values uh, statement that uh, that management and our employees uh, collectively put together and had the, the council validate. Um, that was my vision of the future. Um, you know, a diverse community being well served by a group of highly motivated uh, public servants um, and just doing a great job, being efficient, uh, being effective, providing great customer service. Um, and and I, I believe we were headed in that direction. What work do you felt re remained to be done at Clark County to execute that vision? Well, the servant leadership model, we were continuing to uh, permeate that through the organization. Um, I think there was one uh, group of 60 that uh, were going to uh, take part in the, the formal training uh, with Chris Mead um, providing the instruction. And then we were going to permeate that down through the organization and uh, and we were we were planning that uh, before I left, and um, and we were also going to uh, create a uh, a customer bill of rights uh, so that uh, every customer coming into the building, interfacing with county employees, knew what kind of service to expect, and we were going to uh, implement uh, feedback mechanisms so that. 
the public, when they were served by county staff, could could comment on on the experience so that we we could uh, uh, continue to improve the service that we provided. And so those those were things that were uh, going to be implemented days and weeks um, after I left. You know, you took a job. You took this job at a, a pretty tumultuous time in Clark County's history, and um, you know, with all of the changes that went on and all of the drama that there was, even in the the, the, few, the handful of years before you assumed your role, uh, you know, obvi- I don't, I know, I don't have to tell you that there was a, a lot of a lot of uncertainty going on. Uh, maybe if you can describe to us what what was going on in staff like how was the camaraderie how was the uh how was the job satisfaction among staff when you assumed the role and how did you can you contrast that if you can to how it was uh in your last few days there well uh, clark county since uh 2008 every three years has uh, used a, a cultural assessment survey uh, an online survey with uh, a pretty sizable number of questions designed to uh, identify issues amongst the workforce uh, regarding discrimination, harassment, job satisfaction, uh, job engagement, uh, support for management, uh, equal opportunity, uh, things of, things of those those types. And in 2011. Uh, that survey was administered, and then it was administered again in 2014 in the spring, uh, six months or so after I became the county administrator. And I was alarmed at the the scores in 2014 when you compared them to 2011, that the scores had taken a hit. And, um, and that told me that we had some serious issues in the county that needed to be addressed. So we decided to uh, recruit amongst our employees uh, volunteers to create workplace improvement teams that could take on the issues that were identified by that cultural assessment survey and then make recommendations to to management um, in the form of a a steering committee with selected department directors and um, as members. And, and they went and did a bunch of great work and they made recommendations to the steering committee and we, we decided that uh, that their work was good and uh, that we would uh, take them seriously and try to implement their recommendations. And servant leadership model was one of the recommendations that uh, that uh, one of the teams uh, had made. And <clears throat> so work was underway to to implement these things: employee development, leadership development, and servant leadership. And it was making a difference, uh, in my view. Uh, I think the morale in, in the county had improved markedly. Um, And I think uh, we were going to do another survey this spring. I don't know whether they did it. Uh, We were having difficulty with with the person who does the survey, trying to get a contract with him. Uh, But my hope was that when we did the survey in 2017, that it would show market improvement over the 2014 scores. And I didn't get to see that through. Yeah, that must be pretty disappointing to not get to see, uh, you know, this this such a big under, undertaking come to fruition. Um, well, well, now that uh, that all this has happened, I you know I don't know what effect that's had uh, amongst the workforce. Um, I know I I had a lot of uh, supporters uh, in the county, and I had good relationships with with the employees. And 
Um, you know, to have to have this happen um, certainly has had an impact on them somehow. Sure. I mean, I don't doubt that this is all still probably very raw for you, um, for the people that are working for the the county as well. Um, and but you know, this form of this form of governance is obviously really new for the county and pretty rare even at a state level. Um, do you think it's working? Is this an effective uh, form of management for Clark County? Uh, well, I, I know that initially in 2015 when the charter became effective there was some the council at that time uh was resistant to it they were i think they were all charter opponents and so implementation of the charter was uh, was slow and uh, and and even now uh, i'm I'm not sure that I, i mean i understood what it meant uh, I'm, but I'm just not, you know, the council is, is the wild card here. And and, and I, I don't know whether they get it uh, or not. What indications are there that maybe this council is struggling to grasp the charter? I, I think that um, that interactions with staff, uh, I don't know. I think, I think the council would do well to evaluate um, how they, how they deal with with county staff and um, and how they and how they deal with the county manager and uh, you know part of what I tried to do was uh, was get a strategic direction out of the council and that and that proved to be remarkably difficult and so in the absence of that um, you know I was I was leading the, the county you know the the executive piece of it um, as as I believed appropriate and so um, I, I think. I think growth needs to occur there, and uh, I think it, it, it may take a number of years before the county gets it right. So I'm wondering, um, with with the, the charter, all it takes is three votes from the council to remove uh, a county manager. Um, right. Is that? It, it seems like why why would anyone want this job? It just seems really difficult because you have five people who have five different egos, five different personalities, five different sets of priorities. It seems like you'd be pulled in different directions, and if you just alienate three of them, then you're out of a job. Is that? It seems like it's a really, really difficult job. And I was hoping you could. Is, is that? Does that sound about right? Uh, it's yes. It's taking a job of that sort is. is there's definitely risk associated with it. Um, I, you know, I took the job in September 2013 uh, because I felt I needed to. Uh, with Bill Barron departing, I I wondered if I didn't take the job, who would who would get it, and and what impact would that person have on on the county? And I I I felt that um, that it was important that that we have some stability and that we have somebody that the workforce was familiar with, and and um, so I I agreed to, to to take the job when it was offered and. Um, uh, you know, I would have stayed on as long as uh, as I could, uh, you know, council willing. Um, but, you know, I've been told that, and you know, city managers and county managers, they serve at the will of the council and that at times um, things like this happen. As, as you are well aware, 
Don, former Senator Don Benton is now at the head of the uh, Selective Service Committee, um, their Selective Service for the Trump administration. Um, that was a big piece of your time there was eliminating the Department of Environmental Services and, and thereby eliminating Don's position. I mean, can you speak to that at all and what that was what that was like to see him get that federal position and if you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, I never wished Don Benton any ill will. And, uh, you know, I, he's, he's a private individual and he, he's got desires and, and hopes and dreams. And, um, you know, the fact that he's now in charge of the Selective Service Commission or whatever the formal title of, of that office is, um, you know, good for him. Uh, I don't begrudge him having that job. Um, I, I I do. Uh, I think I've heard that he's the first ever to to run that organization without having had any military experience, and um, and I I think that's he had. But, what was it that we determined? Like three months, six months, and training. he went through basic training. Right, and then uh, some advanced training that he wanted to get wasn't available. Yeah. for six months or something. So he he was given the option to go home, and he did. He took that option, but but that's not. You know, you can't call that a military experience, a boot camp. Um, yeah, because you know, if, if he'd have served four years or six years, that'd be a different story. How long did but, you serve? But like I say, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't have. Uh, you know, I don't harbor any grudges against Mr. Benton, and um, you know, presumably he's doing a, a good job there because he still has a job. How long did you serve in the military? Twenty years, four months, nineteen days. Uh, but who's counting? Yeah, I wasn't. <laughs> um, so I had one interaction with Don Benton, and it was right when I first got here. And I had to, it was a story about like the expansion of like a stream, mon stream quality monitoring program or something like that, that the, the county had undertaken. I, I mean, I was here for like three months before I wrote that story. And he just made it sound like environmental services under his leadership had, uh, you know, it was, it was like a, it was a, it was a whole new ship taken to the water in a whole new way. Um, it, he just really painted the picture that he had saved the County millions of dollars and that, uh, the staff was finally on track doing the job it was supposed to do. Did, did, does that, did that line and, and as being somebody sitting on the outside of it with a five o'clock deadline, I had no time or resources to find out otherwise. It did that line. Man, as a reporter, that's terrible to say. But well, um, <laughs> did that line up? Is that right? Well, re regarding Mr. Benton, I, I think you're aware that he's filed a lawsuit against the county. And and my name appears in the lawsuit multiple times. And so I, I'm not at liberty to talk about Don Benton's tenure with the county uh, or anything he claimed to have done or anything he didn't do or, or what have you. It's, um, yeah, it's just not something I, I'm free to talk about. On that note, do you anticipate taking any legal action against the county? I don't. Okay. No, I've moved on. I'm, I'm in a great little community here. I've got a, a nice new job. Uh, you know, we've made an offer on a house and, you know, hopefully that'll work and my wife can move up here and, uh, and we start a new stage of our lives and, um, yeah, you know, I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward. 
Um, yeah. How how do you think your work at Clark County shaped your career? Well, uh, I know a whole lot about local government, and you know that uh, undoubtedly that's why uh, I was offered the job up here. Um, you know, I don't know the qualifications of the other four finalists, but um, but the education that Clark County gave me. Um, you know, the five years in public works, the seven as a department director and three as county manager uh, prepared me well for, for this job and for, you know, many other jobs in local government. So I'm grateful for that. And I, I learned to appreciate greatly the quality of public servants and how dedicated they are to serving the public. And um, and, and I never knew uh, about local government until uh, – I went to work for Public Works in January 2001, and then, uh, boy, oh, boy, are they important in creating uh, quality communities. And that's an appreciation I gained having worked at Clark County. So unless there's unless there's anything else you want to add, thank, uh, I think that's all the questions we have. Thanks so much again for coming on, Mark, and, and sharing a little bit more with us about the last few few days there at Clark County. Okay, you're welcome. We're here with Nan Hendrickson, uh, and you were the chair of the Freeholder Board. The, the Freeholder Board. You were here with Nan Hendrickson, the chair of the Freeholder Board that wrote the county charter that's currently in place right now. Um, so I was hoping we could start with just just tell us a little bit about what what is a Freeholder Board. I mean that was kind of a while ago. So what, what's yeah. your, and also talk a little bit about your background and uh, so just just a little bit about who you are. So we can start with that. Start with who I am. Yeah. Okay. Well, I am Nan Hendrickson, mm-hmm. a lifelong except for college resident of Camas, Washington. Um, I, 30 years ago, was mayor of Camas, and um, then I went on to to be um, on the Western Washington Growth Management Hearings Board for 12 years. Um, And about uh, over three years ago now, um, I saw in the paper, the Columbian of course, that the um, county was... um, going to have a board of freeholders elected to write a charter for the county. And um, I thought, you know, I'm over 70. I've done a lot, given a lot to um, Clark County and our community. So I think it's time for younger people to step up. But then a few days later, when filing had started, Uh, I saw that Val Ogden, who was then in her 90s, had um, filed for uh, a position on the freeholder board. And I thought, Nan, get off your duff. Um, Let's let's go do this. Because I did have some skills I thought might be uh, valuable. And uh, I really wanted the process itself to be um, fair. and, uh, And at the time, the county government was, their meetings tended not to be um, all that uh, well received. And so I wanted the freeholder board to be something different. And so I was very honored when I did uh, become a, fr- a freeholder. There were 15 of us that I was selected by them as, as the chair. And so I served as the chair during our process of writing a, a document. And our goal was to create a government structure that uh, and a, a charter that that would be uh, simple 
and um, much better than the current one. Uh, our major goal was separation of powers uh, since um, at the time in our commission form, the county commissioners were both the administrative and the legislative branch. And that um, led to unfortunate cronyism and uh, favoritism in implementation of the policies that uh, didn't seem to be the best for the county. Uh, so we were looking at creating our own government structure, which was allowed for by the state. And so with the with the, the county charter, you, you said the, the one of the central aims of the new charter was to separate powers. Right. Um, how successful do you think that the charter, now that we're seeing it implemented, how successful do you think you've been with that? So the goal, the way it's written, um, the county manager is an appointed position, appointed by the council. Our major choice back then was if that county uh, chief executive officer should be appointed or separately elected. And we decided that the least expensive, um, most cohesive form would be a county manager and a council form of government. Um, the whole idea, though, is that the manager is the, the CEO, the, the chief operating or executive officer. And so the council would select this person, but then they would not interfere in the administration, that that would be in charge of this professional manager. Uh, but the council would ha still have the most important function, which would be to uh, select the policies and priorities and budget for the county. Um, and so the separation was that the manager would not be involved in setting policy and doing things without the instruction of uh, the council. Um, we knew it would be a tough transition because the, the citizens of Clark County and um, those elected uh, sitting at the time were used to the old system of, uh, of commissioners being directly involved in, in the administration at all levels. So um, that leads to how is it how is it going? Well, you saw that recently um, the council voted to um, fire the man the current manager. That process was a bit strange, but what was strange about it? Well, it to just the observer. I'm not an insider, just an outside observer. It seemed like it could have been a more open and um, forthright process. Um, but that's fine. That's that's done. The other key piece of that uh, is that before they hire a new manager, I hope that they very clearly, the council very clearly sets its priorities and its policies and where it wants the manager to go so that there's clear direction um, and not the confusion that it seemed like um, Mark McCauley left with. We hope that wouldn't be the case. So so you, what what kind of confusion was there about what issues? Just the policies well, or direction? Well, he stated, I think, to your paper, or at least I saw that um, he was confused about what uh, the council chair in particular 
wanted to happen. Um, and uh, so I would, I would just hope that they really clarify um, where they're headed, wh where they're all going, because that is one of the advantages of a council manager form, is that they can work together to make that happen. Um, the other thing that I hope will happen um, now that the charter with all five members on board has been in place for about a year and a half, is that we ensure that um, there is not interference, like in the old days, of um, the council chair or, or any other council member for that matter, um, being involved in um, personnel decisions and uh, permitting, specific permitting decisions and those sorts of things. Um, so with, with how, how does the, the, the charter prevent that, prevent uh, people, just all, all relevant actors to staying in their lane? I think if you look at the, the city of Vancouver that has a very similar uh, structure, um, the council members understand their role and the manager understands his role and it works very smoothly. Um, in transition, that might be a little rough. Uh, we. We were worried that it would be so rough that at one point um, when we were writing the charter, we defined interference in uh, administration as malfeasance, so it would be easier um, to uh, recall a council really? member if, if they um, meddled in um, the lower administrative affairs. Um, we removed that because it was seen as too hostile. Um, but that's always a possibility when the um, Charter Review Commission is formed in another couple of years. Um, they could look at that if it, if it continued to be a problem. What does the Charter do in situations where you have a split on the council, where one faction of the council wants to go one way, others don't want to go well, one way? Is, is the, the county manager just kind of trapped in the middle? What do you, I mean, what, what mechanisms does the Charter have for situations like well, the, this? Well, the, the structure operates on the, the fact that a, um, the manager does not get his instruction or hers instructions from the county chair. Um, they, they get their instructions from the majority of the board. So if you have three votes, you have the ability to set the direction that the manager should take in, in setting up systems and those sorts of things. Uh, is, I guess the big question is, is the charter working? I think on the whole, um, the other part of the charter that was important was the fact that there were only three individuals. We settled on five councillors. Um, then the question was, should they be elected by district or by the general public like it was before, uh, countywide? And it, we decided on a hybrid, on, and that is that four of those council members, that now there are four districts rather than three, and they're elected by the, the citizens of that district alone. So you do have a closer relationship with your council member. The fifth council member is elected countywide and is the chair, mm -hmm. by definition is the chair. And the chair um, has, as I said, has no more administrative power than the rest of them, but uh, that person is the voice of the council. Uh, we would hope that that person uh, was well-spoken, um, could clearly define the where the county's headed and what the 
council is deciding. Um, those kind of factors would be excellent for a county chair. So it's is the voice of the council sets the direction. Is this is this person who's the chair? Is it is this role? Is it set on a collision course with the manager? How are these two roles different? No, it shouldn't be on a collision course at all. Um, they're very different roles. It's very clear that the county chair, or the chair of the council, um, does not have any any administrative authority at all. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a matter of um, there be, being good communication between the two, uh, and the chair needs to be very clear ab- about um, voicing the the decisions that the council have made on those policies and priorities. When Macaulay was terminated, I went over the charter and I reread parts of it good. that describe his role. Um, part of the rationale they, we didn't get a whole lot of out of the council why they dismissed Macaulay. Yeah. Um, they, uh, part of the, Mark Bolt, he went on another podcast and said yes. that, that part of the reason was that he wanted more of a leadership, not just a manager. Yes. But I, I was surprised about that. I was too, because the, the charter doesn't say a whole lot about leadership. No. I mean, just why, I mean, is, is the county, it seems like the county manager is kind of an awkward position because there's, the charter has some pretty specific language, but, um, but if the, the, the council wants something more that's not in there. Then, then what? What do you should the should the county manager be a leader or a manager or how? Who gets to decide this? I was concerned uh, by Mark Bolt's comments um, when he made that podcast. Number one, that was some of the awkwardness I was talking about earlier, in that publicly in process they wouldn't give the reasons, and yet in a informal podcast he was talking about those things. But anyway, um, I think. Expecting leadership, it depends on your definition of leadership. You definitely need to be a strong leader of those employees in the county. Um, But it sounded like Mark was referring to intergovernmental relations, which I'm afraid would definitely set most managers up for uh, being in trouble with their council. Because uh, uh, the way the roles are defined, I think you noticed in the charter, um, that leadership role is given to the county chair, not to the um, appointed manager. So uh, that was confusing to me. So why would anyone want this job as county manager if, like you said, they can be re- be removed with three votes, and maybe their the vision with the the council might differ from what's in the charter. And why would anyone want this job? It seems like they're just set up to be in an awkward position no matter what. Well, uh, as I said, I think transitionally it may be a bit awkward. Um, But I I do believe that um, Vancouver is a good example of of it not being that awkward. Uh, And anyone who comes from uh, larger corporate America understands that system. You've got a board of directors and you have a CEO and they know their roles. And if the board gets meddling too much, um, they often are in trouble. And if the um, CEO is off establishing relationships uh, externally and doing things that are not what the, the board had envisioned, they're in trouble. I mean, it's, it's a very common um, form of uh, leadership model. One of the roles that I saw that's not written in there, but being the leader of the council like the chair is, uh, they could play a very um, 
effective role of making sure that the other council members um, did not uh, overstep their bounds. Uh, but it, it does it does take having the right manager and the right county elected officials. That's true. Right. So remember that, that's a point that Mark Bolt has made. I've heard him make this several times that it you have to have the right people. It doesn't matter what form mm -hmm. you have. He says something to that effect. This form, the new form, is less conducive to um, cronyism and favoritism than the old one was by its very structure. Um, Just having the separation between executive and legislative right, functions. And the buck stops with the voters because they need to make sure that the person they vote for um, intends to properly implement the charter. So, so do you think it would be helpful if uh, the council had some staff members, some policy analysts or some aides or something, to just to help them out, just to form better policy, to not have everything go through the county manager? Well, um, at historically, uh, the commissioners did have a couple of policy analysts, I believe they were called. Um, but then those roles seem to have gone away um, a like three years ago, and um, they they may be working back toward that now. There's nothing in the charter that says you cannot have that. Mm -hmm. But do, do they need to report to the county manager? Do these policy not numbers? necessarily? No, no, they could have. Um, one of the things that made the elected executive form so much more expensive in many counties is um, the heavily staffing up on both sides, both in the executive's office and on the counselor's offices. Everyone needed their own policy analyst and all those things. So, But uh, there's nothing that says that they couldn't have a policy analyst or two that answered to them. I, I, I don't think there's anything in the charter that would preclude that. Okay. So do you think, so part of the reason was cost of, of adopting this form. Yes. It's just so you wouldn't have to have these, these large staffs for both sides that yes. have co-equal functions. Um, well, in your your estimate, what does the, the council and what does the county need to do to successfully implement the charter? Um, they need to stick to their own roles. Um, the council needs to decide clearly where they want the county headed and um, select a very effective administrator of people uh, for a manager uh, who has a proven track record and um, then the council members and the chair in particular need to make sure they focus on their own roles and not on those of, um, of administration. Um, the, one of the reasons we lowered the salary for uh, council members from the previous commission so drastically is that the they only have the legislative role now, so they need not, it need not at all be a full-time position. And, um, and we hoped it would encourage folks who actually were out earning um, a living other ways that might be able to accommodate uh, being on the council. And so how do you get a strong manager if you have a manager that can be re removed, if that's sort of stuck in the middle with uh, between their, what the charter needs to, what they need to do to adhere to the charter and what the council might want, and they can be removed with just three votes. I mean, how do you allow a strong manager to really get footing with that? It seems if they can just be removed so easily, and there's, they're, they're caught with so many prerogatives, and they can be relieved, removed pretty easily, as we saw with Macaulay. I mean, how can a manager get well, footing? Well, Macaulay, in 
Bolt and Council were in the uncomfortable position of, that they had been involved in the previous configuration. Um, I think a newly the previous configuration being the, uh, the commission form. The commission form. With an administrator, not a manager, but an administrator who basically is just the right arm of the council people and not a separate administration. Um, I believe that now I'm sure they'll do a um, very wide search for a proven um, executive manager uh, from other governments throughout the nation. And um, I don't believe that um, get, getting off on the right foot, that uh, that should be that difficult. And if there is a counselor or a council chair who is, even with the new person, um, interfering in administration, then the voters need to take care of that. So it really comes down to the voters. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Jeannie Stewart, for example, she was a commissioner and she became a counselor. Mm -hmm. How did her day-to-day -day life change when she became a counselor? What powers did she no longer have? She had, she now has zero administrative powers. But what are some things that she because could have done before? What, in the old system, they were co-executives, the three of them. They were the co, the three co-executive officers, in addition to being the legislative officers. So they had full administrative powers. Um, now they do not have any of those. Do they have to vote on administrative issues, or could they just issue? What if they issue? No, they just could wander around and 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 like issue orders to to staff. And, yeah, they, okay. I think they had a general person's agreement that there, it took two votes. To be able to do that, I th and I think they even had it in writing, but the, the, they, it, it wasn't always implemented that way. Okay. That's, that's for sure. So, um, so at this point, um, as long as you do your legislative homework and um, um, get out there and talk to your citizens, uh, that's your role. So how um, now that we have a new council? How how's the how what's your assessment of how they're doing? How are they getting along? Are they getting things passed? Are they they a functional group or? I think I think compared to three years ago, they're very functional, um, legislatively. There. They uh, there are only two of them left now. I believe that were involved in the commission form, previously. Although Jeannie Stewart, that you mentioned, does have extensive experience on the Vancouver Council, so she knows what a councillor's role is as opposed to the commissioner's role. Um, but uh, the, the new members are don't have that background, so I think they're more apt to um, stick to their specific role. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think it's harder for those who have been in the old form. I think that's all the questions I have. Okay. Anything else do you want to add on the separation of powers or anything like that? Or, Well, I, I would just um, point out that the charter can be changed three ways. Um, if you don't want to wait for the Charter Commission, Review Commission, <clears throat> in a couple more years, uh, there are two other ways to get changes to the charter. Um, you can go to the council itself 
and ask them to put it on the ballot. There's only The only way you can make changes to the charter is the same way that it was adopted in the first place, and that is by the electorate. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, no council members or anything can change it without the vote of the people. So you can go to the council, and this is one of the only instances, I believe, that, you re- that requires four votes. But if you have four votes of the council for what you think is, is a, an improvement that you'd really like to see now rather than later, uh, the council has the authority to put it on the ballot. Um, the other way is by the petition method. You know, we, in addition to initiative and referendum, which was included in the charter and were um, people's abilities that were not allowed before, um, there is a, a def- defined way in the charter to change, propose an amendment by a petition method. And, and I believe it's 20%. If you get 20% of the number of voters in, in the last gubernatorial election, uh, <clears throat> you can get it on the ballot. And then, as I said, then in a couple more years, freeholders will be elected, not freeholders. Charter review commissioners will be elected, and the, they will have the role of going line by line through the charter and coming up with um, improvements in amendments that they would like to see that could go that will go to the people. And some of those might be items that we left out in the first place because we wanted to keep the charter simple and and get it adopted. So things like an ethics commission um, making all the offices in the county nonpartisan. Um, what were some of the others? There were there were some others. Are there are there any are there any obvious issues that when this the Charter Review Commission uh, begins its work? Are there any amendments that seem pretty obvious to you that they should consider? Um. Well, I was part of the group that wanted to see the offices nonpartisan, so. From a personal standpoint, I, I would say that would be something they definitely want to look at. Now, they may, as the, the new 15 members may decide, no, they like it the way it is. That, another question was whether some of those separately elected executives, um, such as the assessor and the treasurer and that group, would make more sense to to be appointed positions rather than elected positions. And in several of the counties that we studied, uh, that had happened. There, there, there were some of each. Um, I don't think there was any county that had no separately elected, but I could be wrong on that. So that's another thing that might want to look at. The Ethics, Ethics Commission was, a, was one that looked like it might make sense. Um, and that might be a place where those discrepancies from what your role is defined is and what you're doing could be. That could taken. help adjudicate some of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think, I think that's it. Any other, any final thoughts? Well, I'm just pleased that we're sitting here with these questions and not where we were four years ago. <laughs> I think we've made a big stride in the right direction. And uh, I am just happy that you had me Come and answer some questions. Yeah, I'm glad you could do it. Okay.
All right, and now let's round out the show with a good segment on all the great things that are going to be going on this weekend in Clark County and perhaps abroad. I don't actually know if we're going to be talking about anything beyond Clark County because I haven't heard the list yet. Well, it's pretty much all about Clark County this weekend because... Clark County is just exploding with events. Wow, exploding. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, that is the voice of Ashley Swanson, the uh, the maven of weekend events in Clark, or just goings-on in general in Clark County. It's true. So what's up? What do you have for us this week? Oh, so many great things, and I'm glad the weather will be nice because a lot of these are great outdoor events. Um, starting off with we put in the weekend section this weekend a big list of all the free music concerts and movies that are happening in the parks this summer. So that's uh, Vancouver City Parks, Camas City Parks, um, some activities up in Battleground and their parks. It's just a whole big list to get you prepared um, to go out. Uh, Vancouver's kicking off their series with uh, the, a screening of Rogue One, uh, the, the Star Wars movie, at the parade grounds at Fort Vancouver. So free movie outdoors at dusk on Friday night. If any any officials in, involved with the out, movie in the parks um, are listening to this, I want to make a special request to have the Big Lebowski shown. That would be great. I don't hear any objections in this room. <laughs> uh, I'm excited for Lego Batman, which is going to be yes. shown later this summer. Lego Batman was my jam. It was a so great movie. It's a great movie. It's true. Like If you've missed any of the movies that came out like last summer, they're all going to be in the parks this summer. And these are these are all free, right? Yeah. Are they gonna have like are they gonna be like food carts at any of these? Yeah, or? and and they'll have like little activities beforehand for like kids. It sounds like a great date night or family night. It's true, and that I mean it also everyone really enjoys the concerts in the park, especially in Esther Short Park. There was you know one today, uh, Wednesday, Wednesday as we're recording this um, at noon, and then tomorrow there'll be one on Thursday, at the start of the six to sunset concert series, and then there's also the one that in East Vancouver that's called the Sunday um, Sounds Concert, which takes place in uh, Columbia Tech Center Park. So more free things to do in your evenings. So there is no excuse to spend money on date night, basically, is what exactly. you're telling me. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Um, but if you do want to spend some money, and <laughs> this might... you need to buy gas to get there. It's true. True. Um, and this event might uh, be... But you could ride your bike, though. We've talked about biking here on Clark Talks. Done. Woo! Self-referential. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Ashley. Continue. <laughs> um, Maybe this is more of an event that would perk Damien's interest, but uh, Weird Beer on the River Festival returns uh, Friday and Saturday this weekend. Uh, it is basically um, a collection of breweries are challenged to create the weirdest brew that you can make. And then a bunch of people get to test it and vote for what they feel is the best or weirdest brew at the festival. She's trying to, sh- she's trying to say she thinks you like bad beer, Damien. No, I just think you enjoy the weirder things in life. What makes you think I enjoy the weirder <laughs> things in life? I feel like I'm pretty well put together in this office. I must be a hot mess outside of it. Weird is weird does not mean bad. True, true. Why do you instantly think weird is bad? I do like weird things. I can't exactly argue with it. So this is the uh, third uh, year of the festival. It's a fundraiser for um, CMS uh, Care Services, which helps um, seniors in the area. Um, caregiving services. I may have messed that up and butchered that, but it's a fundraiser. Um, there's about, I think, more than 30 um, beers you get to try. Last year, I know they had a 
beer made from durian fruit. Um, one incorporated mushrooms. I think this year someone's doing like um, actual putting Chardonnay in their beer. Like hmm. there's a lot of interesting hmm. mixtures happening. Um, and they don't announce what kind unless they're like. So, but actually, though, it does sound like they they are announcing what kinds of things they're bringing in advance. Right? Oh yeah, okay. yeah, it's definitely to get some interest because, like, I don't, I've never tried a you know spicy pineapple beer or you know. You I thought know. I saw there was like a pho beer a couple mm-hmm. years back. Was there? Is yeah. that real? Okay, I'm not making that up. Yeah. What's really interesting though is the last two years, Mount Tabor Brewing has took taken home the championship belt of of brewing so glad it's a belt yeah so i'm hoping it'll be interesting to see if they are three years champions of the weirdest beer or if uh someone else yeah if someone else will rise up to the challenge yeah that's a good one yeah it's only 20 dollars for a day-long thing of beer tasting so that's pretty nice um, also this weekend, starting on Friday and going through Sunday, is the annual Amboy Territorial Days celebration up in good old Amboy. Um, it is kind of the biggest community festival up in North Clark County, and it includes the annual logging show. So if you want to watch some timber sports, some axe throwing, some log rolling, um, some, some double saw bucking, or uh, the annual lawnmower races where you take up a souped up lawnmower and race really really fast around a a tight track with a bunch of other people on lawnmowers um that they are both very exciting things to watch that all sounds dangerous (laughs) (laughs) clearly you're not a logger (laughs) though i did um when i was in california cover a logging event and it was with all of those things that you mentioned and it was rad as hell mm-hmm. it was so cool so i always like the the pole where they have to like climb the pole really fast yeah. and then get to the top and then, yeah that's really fun um so yeah it runs friday through sunday uh the logging shows on saturday and it's five dollars to get in it's free for the rest of the festival so there'll be carnival rides and vendors and food and a bunch of live entertainment and a beer garden and then sunday's the lawnmower races and that's also five dollars to get in but everything else is free so cool and it's up at the territorial days park in amboy uh saturday saturday in the park pride event vancouver usa does their pride event in july and it's been going on for i want to say like over a decade now and it's more of a community gathering a very picnic style event in esther short park on saturday um it's kind of a celebration of of the uh, lesbian gay uh, transgender queer community in clark county and it's just a big fun rainbow filled festival um, that starts at like 10 a.m. on Saturday. It's free. It's fun. Uh, there's usually a lot of feather boas, which is great. <laughs> a bunch of vendors. Um, so definitely whip out that picnic blanket, grab something from the farmer's market, and enjoy the people watching. It's interesting. There's been some kind of interesting reporting out there on, um, you know, what pride looks like in this time. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, what what does pride define itself as? Mm-hmm. Is, you know, now we have gay marriage that's legalized trans the situation around trans people mm-hmm. is becoming more trans is becoming more um people are understand it a little better than they once did um so does does pride exist sort of as vancouver's pride does which sounds like it's just a fun time in the park versus versus this sort of like revolutionary like like rioty type um protest 
fueled action. So, and I think there's some different schools of thought on that. So, well, and Vancouver's Pride has always kind of gone back and forth on that as well. And it really depended on what was happening in the time. Like, it for a while, it was a way to kind of declare that, you know, we existed and they're out there and uh, we're part, we're just another community members that just have a different view of family and totally. togetherness and then when the the uh, legislation for same-sex marriage passed then it was a, a big celebration yeah and so now it's still i think more of a way to kind of connect and bring together people that don't necessarily realize that there is a large community in clark county and it's kind of a way to acknowledge that and kind of have almost a reunion of all those different aspects cool also on saturday is the camas car show uh, so it's a kind of a fun show, even if you're not into cars, but I, I like it cause you can find some really odd things that appear, but it's open to anyone who wants to register their cars. It takes place in downtown Camas on along their, uh, fourth street. So you get all those nice overgrown trees and Katie, do you think you're going to be showing off your new Corolla there or your new Camry? Uh, first of all, you were right the first time it is a Corolla. Second of all, no. <laughs> <laughs> Though if I had a Prius, oh, sweet baby Jesus, would I put that in a car show? <laughs> I'd get some flame decals on that thing. I would drive that down Main Street. I don't even care. <laughs> so it's really fun for people who enjoy cars because you'll see a lot of really interesting vehicles come out of the woodwork because there's a lot of collectors in Clark County. And then it's fun, too, because they put a lot of activities and kind of themed um, music and stuff throughout uh, downtown Camas, which is just a pretty setting. And it takes place in the evening too so you get that like fading light on all these different colored cars and you have all this fun free um, time people watching and vehicle watching and it's you know free to do and it's a fun saturday sort of day out sounds like prom for gearheads kind of yeah. yeah i mean if you have a nice car what else are you going to do with it? I mean, you yeah, you obviously you drive it around, but you really own those things just to show them off and tell everybody like, yeah, look at how cool my my impractical '67 Buick is. Well, it's also a little bit of it's you know it's it's another it's a it's a way to nerd out too. It's like any Completely. other nerd hobby, you have fun sharing it with other people who appreciate what you do. So it's That's a lot true. of that kind of community gathering and and fun. I'm pretty stoked on that. I may definitely have a side of myself that really loves cars. So I'm sure I will go to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Have you gone to Cruise in the Gut in years past? No. no. Yeah. Um, also, Sunday, Pachella. Oh my gosh, I almost Pachella. forgot. Pachella. What is Pachella? <laughs> so, Concert for a Cause in years past have done a series of concerts at the Camas Meadows Golf Course. This year, they're just kind of doing one giant concert called Pachella on Sunday, and it's basically bring your kids, bring your dogs. There's going to be activities for everyone, um, doggy obstacle courses, kids you know bouncy houses and then they're also having music concerts so flexor t five guys guys named mo and uh, ty curtis is the cat rapper gonna be there no oh that's just that's depressing no but there'll be a bunch of puppies to look at while you're listening to music at the golf course so i'm sorry and who who does this i assume this benefits the humane society right it actually benefits five different charities okay so concert for the cause would always put on a concert to benefit one charity so this year is kind of a mega concert to benefit multiple charities um including i think camas parks and rec uh share house a couple other ones i'm forgetting but it's just a big fun community partnership with puppies with puppies mm. sweet 
I wonder what the version of cultural appropriation is at Pachella compared to, you know, like the Indian headdresses that you see at Coachella. What's what do you do at Pachella to be culturally mm. insensitive? Mm. Mm. That's a great question. Um I think that you would probably like sell shirts with Dalmatians like riding in fire trucks. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you're a Dalmatian doesn't mean you work for the fire department. <laughs> uh, that, or you would say, like, uh, you'd talk about how bulldog or pit bulls and bulldogs just attack everybody all the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You, can you think of any? I think those are pretty great. I don't know. Mm. Oh, we're terrible people. Oh. Chihuahuas and sombreros. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, my God. And nobody should wear sombreros anyway. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> this is a weird episode. Now I'm just sad. Weird. Guys, cultural appropriation is bad. Don't do it. Where have we, we gone? Be laughing about it. Where are we at? But I guarantee you, you're going to see a chihuahua and a little sombrero. I would wage money on that. Um, you know, the the other thing I wonder is like for adult, for like human music festivals, uh, there's lots of porta potties and outhouses, just rows of them. Are they going to have rows of astroturf and fire hydrants for these dogs? But yeah, so it's it's a great I'm again. Oh, I don't even know. I don't even know. So what time does that start? Uh, it's from two to eight. Two so to it's, eight. it's a pretty long uh, day of activities. Uh, it's five to ten dollars a ticket. Uh, again, all going to good causes. Sweet. Yeah. And then if you need more delicious culture in your life, uh, Original Practice Shakespeare is bringing uh, their Shakespeare to the Park to Esther Short Park on Sunday as well at 2. Um, they're performing all All's Well That Ends Well, which is a kind of a more, I don't know. It's a great show. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's a great show, but it's it's uh, definitely not one of the ones that are instantly recognizable as a Shakespeare I've play. never even heard of it. Can you give us a primer? What's it about? It's basically about this lady who's kind of awesome, but has a crush on like kind of a sad man. Um, so she goes out of so, her. Way- sounds a lot like my girlfriend. Right. <laughs> so she goes out of her way to try to like impress him with like all these crazy deeds. Like she heals like a king, and then like does all these crazy things, and he's still kind of like indifferent to her. But then I think she ends up convincing him she's awesome, and that's how the play ends. Because it's fun. Shakespeare. It's a fun. It's fun light. Yeah, it's the original (laughs) rom-com. Well, what's fun with original practice Shakespeare is they do these Shakespeare performances throughout the the area in different parks, and they perform them the way supposedly Shakespeare's time would do plays. So they have an awesome... So is everybody played by a man? No, No. but they do have a couple of those performances, if you're really curious, an all-female cast, all-male cast. But for the one in Esther Short Park on Sunday, it'll be there'll be a prompter on stage giving directions to the actors. They'll have very little um practice so it'll be very like they'll have the scripts in hand and they'll be doing kind of very fast-paced energetic acting so it was it's more apparently of the time kind of a dry run yeah and they really encourage audiences to interact with what's going on on stage so booing yelling cheering all that fun stuff fun yeah sounds cool again free in the parks and what time is that uh two two great Mm -hmm. where can people find out more as always, we put out this thing called the weekend section. Uh, has all the details, all the information. Definitely pick it up if you want to learn more about all the free stuff in the summer parks this year. 
It, this sounds like a good one to keep. It sounds like a good yes. one to like rip out and keep on your fridge. Yes, because it'll have everything you ever wanted to do in the parks. Sweet. So tell me if this is possible or not, but can you uh, merge our calendar with uh, your own personal calendar? Do you see what I'm saying? Our events calendar, can you stick merge it with yours? Yeah, there's a fancy little button that says add to like Google Calendar or iCalendar. And if you find an event you like, you can just go and click that button and it will export to your online calendar thingy majiggy. Oh, we should do it. Which would send you reminders on your phone, like, hey, something cool is coming up this weekend. Because if you're anything like me, it gets to be about 8.50 on a Saturday, and you say, oh, God, I was going to go to that event, and it ended a half hour ago. Mm -hmm. Disappointing. We should do a video showing people how to do that. Yeah, maybe we should. We might do a video. Mm. Ashley will make you famous. Yeah. Cool. You can narrate it. That'd be great. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Ashley. All right, that's a wrap. Ta-da. We're going to do a special episode about the McCleary budget deal and other mm. other pieces of the budget package that were finally approved by the legislator. Uh, if you're listening to this uh, the week of July 3rd, then last week, if you're listening to it next week, then a couple of weeks ago, um, there were some pretty significant changes in that budget, including mm -hmm. a levy swap that changes the way that schools are funded. Mm -hmm. uh, so far, local schools have given this budget a thumbs up uh, from, my, from my conversation. They're cause, cautiously optimistic that this will fully fund education. Mm -hmm. But there's some big questions about how, does this meet the Supreme Court's ruling on McCleary that mm -hmm. said that the state was not fully funding education? What will this do to your taxes? Things mm -hmm. like that. So there's some big significant questions that we wanted to give a little bit more time to really unpackage. Mm -hmm. uh, there are reporters in Olympia doing that right now. Um, and then as well as us down here in, in, in Clark County are yeah. doing reporting so hopefully next week we'll be able to bring you some words from some legislators and if nothing else we'll be able to bring you a deep dive into the budget including the McCleary decision and what yeah. it means for you and the significance of this package yeah because um, it's very easy to forget in these times with all this discussion around education that there are still a whole host of other things uh, bills and uh, other budgets that the legislature was responsible for passing i mean it was a full biennial budget so. yeah yes and um even though that the operating budget got passed at the 11th hour and saved some fourth of july weekend campouts we still don't have an op or we still don't have a capital budget at this point right. and it's uncertain if we're going to have one right on top of that there are several bills that uh, were passed pushed through this session and we're still getting pushed through at the last minute we want to talk I about those still things. being signed i think the still being the signed family yeah. leave bill was signed today yeah so fingers crossed we're gonna get some politicians in here to talk about us talk with us about everything that happened and how it went down and basically what worked and what didn't and we're going to have a what i think is going to be a damn good conversation about what mccleary means and whether it's going to whether this is going to be the last time at least hopefully for a while that we get to talk about this and we'll so. bring in we'll bring in ashley as well next weekend yep to, or next week so yeah so don't uh don't be disheartened or nervous if you didn't hear uh the following weekend in our latest interview with her well, right. is that a wrap? Did I think we that's talk a wrap. about everything? I think we talked about everything. Got you. Okay. Well, we will see you guys next week. Bye.